Good morning, Melbourne Life. I hope you're ready to get into the Word this morning. We're going to be looking at something really beautiful from the Psalms. But just before we do, I'm going to encourage any of you who might be watching this right now on YouTube, please come and join us live on our melbournelife.org website. Uh, Click on the banner there. And you'll be able to join our new family hub, our church family hub. And there'll be, you'll still be able to do online chatting, live chatting. There are private prayer requests there button that you can click. You can, uh, there's a Bible app associated with it. So this is where most of us are this morning. So if you're watching on YouTube, just take a couple of seconds and quickly go on to melbournelife.org and join us over there. And that's how we're going to be doing church now, moving forward every single Sunday. All right. Okay. Well, let's get into the word now, shall we? So I want to look at Psalm 121 this morning. And it's actually known as one of the pilgrim's psalms. And of course, we would know that a pilgrim is actually a person who journeys to a sacred place for religious reasons. And so the background of this psalm is it's one of 15 psalms, actually, in the series from Psalm 120 right through to Psalm 134. And these were songs. Remember, psalm is a song. So these were songs that were sung by Hebrew pilgrims on their way to uh, possibly about three or four different places. They could have been going to Jerusalem to attend any of the three Uh, pilgrim festivals that were going on, or they might have been ascending Mount Zion, or they might have been ascending also the steps of the temple. And so these were uh, songs that were describing the cry of these guys' heart and, and what was happening in them as they were journeying with God and towards God and looking for God. And so this is a really beautiful psalm. It's only got eight verses, so let's read it together this morning. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I love that. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. What a beautiful promise. So it starts with verses 1 and 2. So let's, let's see what we can learn from this psalm to really appropriate or to really apply to our lives in this very moment. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? The psalmist asks. My help comes from the Lord, he says, the maker of heaven and earth. So what do we learn just from this alone? We learn that really God alone is our help. God alone is our help. You know, it's a probably a fairly uh, correct thing to say that every generation experiences some form of trauma or, or, or upheaval or uncertainty either personally or even corporately like we are right now. But every single one of us face this question that the, that the psalmist actually poses in verse 1. And it's kind of relevant to you and I and to every single one of us who are watching and listening at the moment. No matter where we are at in our life, we always have to come to that point, where do we go to look for help? Where do we draw our strength from? What do we look to? What do we depend on? And this pilgrim immediately starts by declaring where his help is not to be found. So he asks this kind of question, or he makes this statement, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, and we'll look at that in a minute and see 
why he was actually referring to mountains. And then he says, where does my help come from? And so he basically says, well, this is where it's not to be found. And he had a few options back then because um, back then there were several different aspects of why a pilgrim or anyone really might have looked to the mountains. And there there was an understanding that there was the holy mountain of, of Jerusalem. And so he could have been saying, you know, I, is it, does it, my strength come from the longing of going to the holy mountain of Jerusalem? In other words, a religious holy site. Does it come from a geographical place? Uh, or it could have been another context that he could have been referring to with the mountain was the stronghold that was seen to be a stronghold of fleeing to the mountaintops to be safe from all the marauders and all the enemies in the valleys. In other words, for you and I, this could mean, you know, are we looking to the natural world to protect us, our, even our own money, our status, our education, the things that we put our trust in? Or it might have been a third option that, that this psalmist could have been referring to. When, when that, back in those days when they said, when I look to the mountains and I lift up my eyes to the mountains, but is that where I'm going to draw my strength from? No, I'm going to draw it from God. And that was that there was a surrounding belief system that was happening in those days of the, the, the heathen who actually put their trust in the gods of the mountains and the gods of the valleys. So this was one of the surrounding belief systems of the day. In other words, for you and I, do we put our trust in the spiritual beliefs that actually have no strong foundation? So he's asking and posing the question, I can look to the mountains, be it a holy place, be it a a practical geographical uh, strength that I can actually go up and and hide myself in from the the enemies down in the valleys, or I can look to the gods of the mountains. And he's saying, do I draw my strength from that? But he basically says no. And, and I love the phrasing because in my mind, this guy, I presume it's a guy, this guy, this pilgrim is almost defiant. And he's saying that physical mountains and their perceived powers and their perceived meanings cannot help me. But instead, he contrasted it with saying my only help is from God. There's nothing in the natural that I can draw from to help me. My only help is in God. And all of us, you know, every single one of us, myself included, especially today, especially in this season, especially in 2020, but every single one of us has to draw a line in the sand and make a courageous decision that God alone is my help. Whatever you are facing right now, whatever you're facing today, I mean, corporately, we're all facing the lockdown. Corporately, we're facing a worldwide uh, pandemic with COVID-19. But individually, there are compounding issues on our lives. What is it you're facing? What is it that you and myself, what am I drawing my strength from? You know, we're having to lead a church through this situation. We can't actually go and see anyone, really. We can't visit people. We're relying on speaking into a camera to be able to minister to our people, to strengthen and encourage our people. It's, it's not easy. It's hard. As, as individuals, as a, as a husband and wife, as a man and a woman, we can't really just go and freely gather our family, gather our children, gather our grandchildren. We can't do that. So where do we draw our strength from? <clears throat> Pardon me. Where are you drawing your strength from? We can look to all the things around us, but in the end, we have to draw a line in the sand and go, no, you know what? He alone is my help. 
And for the psalmist to quote this and for this to be part of the, the word of God to you and I, it means we can depend on this. We can trust in God Almighty to be our one and only help that we draw our strength from. Because you know what? We're all pilgrims, just like this psalmist. You and I are all pilgrims. Even though Brahm and I are senior pastors, we're ministers, we're pouring out, we're giving to you. Hey, we're still on our journey with God as well. We will never stop being like pilgrims walking towards uh, our, our heavenly vision, the heavenly vision of, of, of being with the Lord, being one with him. We're all doing that until the day we die. None of us ever cease from this journey of being a pilgrim. And so, therefore, every single day we have an opportunity to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And I think this is a timely reminder to go back to that. Learn. You and I need to learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And, um, in fact, the only time that Jesus that I can think of, maybe I'm wrong, I can check with Bram later, my walking Bible encyclopedia, but the only thing, the only time that I can just think off the top of my head that Jesus spoke about metaphorical, mentioned metaphorical mountains was in Mark 11:23 when he says, he actually, and I've got it here written uh, that I want to read it out to you. He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. So I love that. You talk about dismantling and debunking any sort of romanticized version of, you know, climb every mountain and forge every stream or, you know, let me run to the mountains. No. He says, when you've got mountains in your life, speak to them. Command them, ask in my name. And he, he proceeds that by saying, have faith in God. Have the faith of God. In other words, we've got to strengthen ourselves in God. He alone is your help. He alone is my help. And when our eyes are fixed on him, when our eyes only see him, then when mountains do appear to us, when things come, roadblocks appear in our lives, when there are th things that come against us, we, we actually speak to these things and we command them out of the way. And he promises if we don't doubt, but we believe that it will happen, it will be granted to us. So I like that. I like this mention of mountains. Yeah. All right, let's move on. He goes on to say in verse three and four, it says, he will not let your foot slip. Why? He says, because he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Wow. This is what I get from this. He never sleeps on the job. God never sleeps on the job. He cares for his people. And we see here that he keeps a careful, jealous eye over his people. And of course, we become his people when we turn our eyes to believe in him and to trust in him. When we look to Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we put our eyes there and we say, Jesus, we, we believe you are the only hope. You are the one. You are the, the way, the truth, and the life. You're the one I look to. You're the one I believe in. I read about you in the Bible. I read about you in the Gospels. And Jesus, this is, this is it. I want to believe in you. When we do that, we are then part of his people. And so he promises. He looks after us corporately as his people. He's jealous for us. Um, he doesn't sleep on the job. He doesn't slack off. So he's not slacking off right now in your situation. He knows what's going on in your marriage. He knows what's going on in your relationship situation. He knows what's happening in your work situation. 
He knows what's happening in the church. He knows what's happening in our congregation that we can't speak to and see physically every single week and and see you guys. He knows everything. And I'd rather have him as the senior shepherd and the senior pastor of our church. And I would rather have him as the senior leader of of my marriage and of our home. I would rather have him as the senior partner of my finances and of my business dealings and of my work situation. I think you and I can trust him because he doesn't sleep on the job. He's watching over you and I on every level. If we will let him, if we will trust him, if we will look to him, you can be guaranteed he won't be sleeping on the job. And he promises to keep us safe. In fact, it reminds me of a scripture in Romans, and I've written it down here in my notes. It's it's so beautiful. Let me read it to you. And it's it kind of encapsulates also one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And if you uh, do DMS, you, you will know that uh, I do this, and I love doing this. This verse, and in fact, I did it again this week, this past week. Romans eight thirty one. It says, "What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us?" Powerful truth. He did. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. I like that. He died, yes, but also, don't forget, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. So let's think about it. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but right now we remember what came after that. He rose from the dead. And where is he now? He's sitting at the right hand of God. And you know what it says? Who also intercedes for us. That is amazing. And then it goes on to say, who will separate us from the love of Christ? See, what is Jesus doing right now? He's interceding for you and I. That's why he doesn't sleep on the job. Even when you and I do physically lay our heads down and we do go to sleep, he hasn't gone to sleep. He's interceding constantly before the throne of the Father, interceding. And what does intercede mean? To stand in the gap in between uh, us and the Father. He's continu- We're coming in his name and then he stands on our behalf before the Father. It's so powerful. Our Jesus doesn't sleep on the job. He's protecting you and I. All right, so let's keep reading. Then we read in um, uh, verses 5, 6 and 7, and this is what it says. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. I love this because in the previous two verses that we read, it talks about the corporate group of people of Israel. He watches over Israel as a corporate group. But now in verses 5 through to 7, he brings it down to you and I as the individuals. And he makes this very personal. It becomes so personal because... He's talking about you and your and and what belongs to you and to me. It's really beautiful. You see, before you looked for him, he'd already found you. Before Before I looked for him, I wasn't actually even looking for him. That's what's crazy. He'd already found me. And because he found me, he began to draw me to himself. And then I saw him. And I think I found him. But really, he found me. And I just, he then opened the eyes of my heart and I saw him. It's so beautiful. 
One thing that we can realize out of this is that he's already noticed you. He's already noticed you. This is so personal. He's a personal God. He's already known you. He'd already seen you because he saw you from the beginning. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about when we look at Jesus, we can see God in the flesh. And that's how we get to see the nature and the characteristics and the, the attributes of God himself. We can see what this Lord in heaven actually looks like. But it kind of goes both ways. Not only do we see him in the words of the Bible, and not only we, do we see him, but we then fall in love with him. And 1 Peter 1.8 says we love someone that we've never seen physically, but we see him with the eyes of our heart. Not only that, but then he also sees us. He sees not just us as a corporate people, as humanity, but he sees you. He knows your name. He knows my name. Read through the Bible. Look at how many people's names, individual names that are mentioned here. Good people, bad people, couples, singles, you know, everything, even thieves, even, even people that were dying on the cross next to Jesus were mentioned. Like this is how precious people are in God's sight. He knows you and I by name. And, you know, quite a while ago, I did a sermon on this for you guys, Melbourne Life, and I'll reiterate this scripture again, but I love this in John 143 because it talks about how Jesus saw Nathaniel. And I just want to remind us, you know, here we are a few months again into this lockdown and into COVID-19. We've been locked down now, it feels like, for seven months. And um, been going through all this trauma. But just remember, he sees you. He's noticed you. He knows exactly what is going on. He heard your conversations this morning. He, he, he didn't just hear your conversations. He knows what you're thinking. In fact, he even knows what you need to pray for and ask for before you ask. Wow. John 1.43 says this, The next day he purposed, this is Jesus, to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, I love that, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael, see all these names? These are, these are people, these are human beings that were born on specific days, at specific times, died on specific days, at specific times. They had names and the Bible goes so far as to mention them. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing uh, come out of Nazareth? Peter said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Or another version says, In whom there is no guile, nor deceit, nor falsehood, nor duplicity. In other words, what does that tell me about Jesus? It tells me that before he'd even met the guy physically, he already saw him and saw who he was. He knew his personality. He saw right inside of him and he knew what even motivated this guy. So let's keep going. Nathaniel said to him in verse 48, how do you know me? Of course he's going to ask that. Uh, in other words, how, did, how is it that you know these things about me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So First of all, we saw that he knew his personality and, and, and what drove this guy, what motivated him. Now we find out that he saw him way before Nathaniel approached Jesus. Jesus had already seen him. And that's what I mean. We think we found God 
But now nah, he's actually seen us. He saw me. He saw a little old dying Carruthers. He saw me growing up in Adelaide. He saw me move to Indonesia. He saw me meet up with Brahm, cute little Indo guy, led me astray first of all into witchcraft. Thanks, Brahm. But then he said, you know what, now I'm going to draw you guys to myself. And he came. And then we felt like we were coming to him and we were discovering him, but really he'd already seen us. He'd already dictated our paths, just like he did with Philip. He, he would have been the one speaking inside the heart, speaking to the heart of Philip to go and grab hold of Nathaniel. It's amazing. It's, it's just incredible to realise that God knows everything. He sees everything. He's noticed you. He's noticed me. And then it goes on to say in verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So there's an instant faith response in this guy. Just no guile. Just exactly as Jesus described him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So now, so what did we say again? Number one, he knew his personality. Number two, he saw him with the eyes of the Spirit before Nathaniel ever physically saw Jesus. But now we realize he's also telling him his future. He's telling him his future. And this is what Jesus does for you and I. He's noticed you. He knows everything, your beginning and your end. He knows right where you are right now. He knows what your past was. He knows what your tomorrow is. He knows what happened yesterday. He knows what's going to happen this afternoon. It's incredible. He knows you. He's noticed you. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for me. And he will keep you safe. He promises that here. He promises it. Because Jesus as God in the flesh, wants to take care of you and I. He wants to lead you like a good shepherd. And just like a good shepherd leads his sheep to safe places. You know, I always remember our oldest daughter many years ago used to preach. It was one of her sort of life messages. <clears throat> Pardon me. She preached several times uh, this powerful sermon about God being our shepherd and how a shepherd actually cared for his sheep. And that there were times when the shepherd... Uh, would have to pick up little lambs and when they were tired, when they were worn down, when they were in danger of wandering and he would literally pick them up and carry them around his neck. And uh, John 10, if you read the, in the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus says a couple of times there, I am the good shepherd. And he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. That's you and I. He cares for you and I that much. Remember, he's interceding. Right now in heaven, that's his job. He's praying constantly while you and I go to sleep, while you and I do things we shouldn't be doing, while you and I are worrying and being anxious and while you and I are in fear. He's praying. He's not, he's not fearful. He's not anxious. He's praying and interceding that you and I will be strong and that we will keep our eyes on him and that we will, we will remember that he is our shepherd that we need to be looking to. And you know what? If things are getting too heavy for you, let him carry you. He will carry you. And uh, that's who our Jesus is. He is a good shepherd and he will carry his people. And he, only, he also says in, in John chapter 10, I know my own and my own know me. So run to him, guys. You know, run to him. He alone is our help. He's already noticed you. He never sleeps on the job. 
and he cares for you. And then let's go to the final verse and see what it says here in verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And what I see from this is that he definitely has an ongoing plan for your life and for my life. And he has a plan for us even right now. And in fact, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, 10, this is what it says, for we, you and I, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. And it's no different to when Jesus spoke to Nathaniel. He was basically describing the good works, the plan that God had prepared beforehand so that he could walk in them. Well, nothing's changed. The same Jesus that walked physically on the earth speaking to Nathaniel is the same Jesus that is now interceding in heaven who has sent, the Father has sent the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of his son, now to live in our hearts so that now you and I can live in the good works and walk them out, the, you know, walk out the good works that God prepared beforehand. Because you are his workmanship. I am his workmanship. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And so this is our moment to really grab hold of these simple principles that we learn from this beautiful, from this beautiful psalm. He has a plan for your whole life that is ongoing. And once again, from Romans 8, if you've done DMS, you'll know the powerful principle uh, that we see in, in Romans 8 verse 29, a couple of verses before what I read out to you before. For those whom he foreknew or foresaw, he could foresee them. Yeah, he could foresee, not just foresee, but he could foresee what drove you. He could foresee your character. He could foresee the decisions that you and I were going to make. He could foresee that Nathaniel was going to make right choices. Therefore, it goes on to say he also predestined. So he foresees you. He foresees me. He foresees our choices. Therefore, he predestines us to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That is the journey and the thread of redemption that you and I are called to walk on. And in that journey, in that walk, he has good uh, plans and good works for you and I to walk in. He's already planned them out. So in other words, predestination is based on foresight. Predestination of how you and I are going to live out our lives is based on foreknowledge of the choices that you and I are going to walk on, walk in. Remember, he's not restricted by time. He's above time. Time is, is a constraint and a restraint that is placed on us, on our humanity, our, on our world that we know. But he's not restricted by that. He foresees you. He's noticed you. He alone is our help. He never sleeps. He's noticed everything. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows the thoughts that we are having. He cares for you and I. And that's as individuals, as much as us corporately. And he has a plan for you. So guys, I want to encourage you. You know, as we come to the end, hopefully we're coming to the end of, of the lockdown here in Melbourne. And things might start to come back to what we think is a little bit more like normal. But let's please never forget the powerful principles that we can learn to live in now. These will be the, the bedrock or the foundation of our life even moving forward. Even as we go into the end of this year and move into next year, 2021, 
things will start to feel good again you know things will start to feel happy again things will start to feel like they're taking on a semblance of, of normality again but guys nothing changes from the fact that he alone is our help there's no geographical place that we can go to not even a physical building called church is going to be our help no he alone is our help. And we've learned some pretty powerful principles during this season, these last seven months. We've learned through DMS, our Discipleship Ministry School, that even sitting in our room on our own, just watching over Zoom, that the Word of God is more than enough to powerfully transform my heart. We've learned that even sitting alone in our rooms or in our homes right now, like you are watching and listening, but especially in DMS where we have sought God and, and, and listened to the word of God, we have discovered that the spirit of God is more than capable and more than able to come and minister to the deep areas of our hearts, bringing deliverance, bringing breakthrough. We've seen people prophesied over accurately over Zoom without even being in contact because these are the principles that we can take with us everywhere we go. Whether we were on our own in our homes, whether we are going through persecution, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love that God has for you and I. He alone is our help. And so instead of looking at these last seven months and going, this has been so hard. No, 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 no. Come on. Come on, Melbourne life. Let's learn what we need to learn. No, we are stronger because of his word. We are stronger because we can strengthen ourselves in him. Our marriages are stronger. Our relationships with, with our friends is stronger. Why? Because we look to him. We let his word form us. Our eyes are only on him. And we strengthen ourselves in him. So come on, guys. Don't slack off. Do the opposite. Strengthen yourselves in the Lord. He is your stronghold. He is your fortress, the Bible says. He has our backs. All right? So let's pray. And um, if, you've, if you're watching today and you've actually never really allowed yourself to look to Jesus and let him come and fully take over your heart, I'm going to include you in this prayer. And I want you just to... Just follow along in your heart and agree in your heart if this is how you want to move forward in your relationship with God today. All right? So let's, let's close now by praying and then we're going to go back to one last song in worship. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. Father, that it has stirred us up. It's encouraged us, Lord. Yes, you alone are our help. And we put our eyes, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the developer or the finisher of our faith. From A to Z, from beginning to end, Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are everything we need. And Lord, we set our eyes on you. You alone can strengthen us and encourage us. You know our names. You are watching over us. And so, Father, we yield ourselves yet again. And for those who have never done it before, Lord, I, I pray for them that even now as they open up their hearts to you, Lord, I ask you that you will come in, forgive them of their sins and come and touch their hearts with the power of the Spirit of God ministering to them. Jesus, we need you. In fact, if you're praying this for the first time, just say it out loud or say it in your heart. Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I believe in you. And Father, as all of us corporately now look to you alone, we remember the simplicity of what it looks like to put our trust in you. Yes, Lord, we are pilgrims on this journey through this earth, through this life, on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the tabernacle that is made without hands, as the Bible calls it. 
But Lord, we keep our eyes on you because you are all we need and we trust you and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, enjoy this worship and let's just uh, have a great rest of the day. Strengthening God. Love you guys. Oh, the blood.